This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. Get ready this morning to talk with uh, you about this idea that you can make a difference uh, with your life. And I hope that you're getting that. We've talked about the fact that this is a call to action. It's not about just listening to the word of the Lord, but this in fact is a call to action that you in fact must move your life from hearing the word of the Lord to doing what the word of the Lord says. Uh, and we've also openly admitted that sometimes these things will make us feel uncomfortable because we love status quo. We love to resort to the comforts of what we've always known and yet God is never interested in status quo. He's always pushing you out in over your head. He's always navigating you to the uncertainty of, cir of circumstances and situations where you have to trust Him more than you had previously trusted Him. And that's what this series has been about, is about this understanding that God wants you to make a difference with your life and it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you the, the uncomfortableness of moving outside of your comfort zone. And as a matter of fact, you're going to have to perhaps have some conversations. You may have to go to somebody and say, I need you to forgive me. Maybe back there I, I said something I shouldn't have said or I did something that hurt your feelings, but the Lord has prompted me that I should come and make that right. Or maybe you need to go to someone and say, you did hurt me and I need to make this right because it's keeping me from being the person that God wants me to be. In some cases, you may need to sit down and talk with an unsaved loved one or friend that doesn't know the Lord. One of the men in our church was telling me the other day that after service he was prompted of the Lord to go to somebody in his life that he should have been talking to prior to that. But in that service he realized it was his responsibility to step into that space. That's what we're saying. That God wants you to make a difference with your life. So I come today to this, the fifth of the six messages in this series to tell you that I honestly believe sincerely and humbly that God is about to say something to you that is profoundly important. And that's not just the hype of a speaker or I'm not doing that. But all week long I have felt like God is about to say something to us, to you, that is profoundly important. And so for that reason I'm asking you to limit your movements in this room until this message is complete. Don't be a distraction. Don't move around. Just sit tight. It won't be long. I've already got a timer right here. I'm not going to preach long. But I just feel like that God wants to say something. Don't congregate in the hallways. No, no. Listen to what God is saying. God has something He wants to say to you today. Let's bow our heads to pray. Father, I bless you. And I thank you for the privilege to preach this word today. A word that you have put into my heart and I ask you, Father, that you would give us clarity and the ability to focus and concentrate in these next few moments. Raise up in us as a church, as a body, as a believer, a fresh and new courage to use our life for some kingdom purpose. Spark revival in this house today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. John Maxwell is perhaps one of the most renowned leaders of our generation. If you know anything about leadership training, anything about leadership, 
the name John Maxwell will mean something to you. He literally has trained thousands and thousands of leaders around the world. John Maxwell has a saying that resonates. The, the saying is simply this. Everything rises and falls on leadership. You look at any organization that succeeds in its mission and you're going to find good leadership. You look at any church that is fulfilling its God-ordained vision and you're going to find good leadership. Because Maxwell is right. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Leaders are invaluable to the kingdom of God. It's why we say here at Lake Erie that our future depends on our efforts to raise up a new generation of leaders at Lake Erie Church. Let me give you the example. When Shelly and I moved here in 2019, the average age of our elders was 68.6. Nothing wrong with that. But it does not pretend the value that we need for the future. So the obvious question then begins, who will be leading at that table in 10 short years? Who will shape the direction and the vision of the mission of our church in the next 20 years? These are critical, strategic questions for our church that have to be answered. Now, I say all of that as a precursor to this passage in 2 Kings 22. Because what you have is in 2 Kings you have all these interesting stories about leadership. And they speak to this concern that I am raising this morning about a new generation of leaders. And I just want to walk you very quickly through a sequence before we get to chapter 22 where we're going to find our guy Josiah who was is the focus of today's message who made a difference in his life through obedience and surrender. Now those of you that are Bible scholars will know that God never intended for Israel to have a king. He intended to be their king. But he permitted them to have a king because according to 1 Samuel, they wanted to be like the other nations of the world. And so as a result of that, Saul was selected as the first king over Israel. And that began a sequence of kings throughout the nation of Israel. If you start in chapter 12 of 2 Kings and you go forward to chapter 22, you will see a series of 365 years of leaders. 365 years of leaders over the nation of Israel. And there are a few good leaders sprinkled in. Amaziah was one and King Hezekiah was one. But there is a common thread in these lines that you will find over and over again. Look at the screen. 2 Kings chapter 16 beginning with verse 2. This is just one example. And Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord his God, as his ancestor David had done. Instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel. You notice that? He followed the example of the kings, talking about the ones that preceded him, even sacrificing his own son in the fire. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the pagan shrines and on the hills and under every green tree. What is the writer saying? The writer saying that Israel is in a succession of leaders 
who do not follow the leading of the Lord and follow the example of evil people that preceded them. By the time we get to chapter 22, Israel is reeling from this inconsistent and ineffective leadership strategy of men who are kings whose hearts are not aligned to God or to His Word. Now when this happens, when leadership is weak, when it is not spiritually aligned, then the people are left to decide for themselves the vision and direction of the nation or the organization. Or in our case, a church. And what you always have is chaos. When you don't have strong leadership, you always have chaos. But then God intervenes. Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah from Bozkath. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. Now there's two things that jump out here and you saw them. I've highlighted them for you. First of all, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. And second of all, he followed the example of his ancestor David. So that we can probably say and be confident in saying that obedience and mentorship saved Israel. Obedience and mentorship saved Israel. You say, well, I don't know how that's going to do anything for us. Well, listen to this. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. When people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. When you live a life that is pleasing to God, then God affects the environments where you are. This, the, the writer in Proverbs said, even our enemies are at peace when people's lives please the Lord. I raise this point this morning because you and I have always underestimated the impact of obedience in our life. We've always underestimated how much it changes us, how much it changes our family, how it influences our marriage, how it influences our careers if we just practiced a life of obedience to what the Lord has called us to be. But there's another important distinction. Notice in the passage I read to you, there is a direct reference to jo uh, uh, Josiah's mother. Now, you go through the scripture, you don't often find the names of mothers. The Bible doesn't contain a lot of names of mothers or fathers in the scripture, except when God wants you to notice a mother. Josiah's mother was Jedidiah the daughter of Adiah. So we can assume by following the pattern of Scripture that the genealogy that is provided us is supposed to mean something to our understanding, and I believe that it does. It, means, it, it causes me to conclude that Josiah grew up under the influence of somebody that taught him to do right. 
Someone who mentored and gave guidance to his life. And I found this in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at the screen. Paul writing to Timothy says this. He says, Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we're together again. Notice this. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. What is Paul saying? He said, Timothy, you didn't get here by yourself. Your mother and your grandmother had a faith and a fire that has transferred to your life, and you are a living example of their influence. It gets better. Paul encourages the Philippian church in chapter 4, verse 9. Look at the screen. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me. Everything that you heard from me and saw me doing. And then the God of peace will be with you. If you want God to be with you, then practice a life of obedience. And get under the covering of a godly person who can teach you how to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the principle that applies here at Lake Erie that we cannot miss. You ready? You don't have to be old to make a difference with your life. You don't have to be an old person to make a difference with your life. Come here, Mateo. This is Mateo Lamas. He is 10 years old. He is the son of Maria, the grandson of Stella, and the nephew of Cassie. Mateo is almost the same age as Josiah was when he became the king of Israel. Now, Mateo can't even pick up his clothes in his room. Your mother told me that. But God's confidence in Josiah was so strong that an eight-year-old boy was made to be a king. Now, now, just imagine for a moment. You'll have to let your mind imagine what I'm about to tell you. Clearly, an eight-year-old boy cannot be a king. He's got to have somebody in his life that helps him. By the time that we get to chapter 22, verse 2, Josiah is a teenager. There's some years that have passed. And he's grown up. Where did he grow up? He grew up, according to Scripture, and I think God wants you to notice this, he grew up under the influence of his mama. His mama probably taught him how to walk with God. He didn't learn that on his own. He learned that because somebody helped him to find that way. Now, this little boy was chosen for that very reason.
because he's got a godly mother who loves the Lord. And he's got a godly mother, grandmother, who loves the Lord. In fact, last Sunday morning, what caught my eye about Mateo, he was sitting on the aisle and grandma was shouting up a storm during praise and worship. And I watched him. His eyes never got off of her. He watched her the whole time. Now, you may say, well, a 10-year-old child may not quite understand. You may be surprised what a 10-year-old child is getting in that moment right there. He's watching the Holy Spirit on grandma. He's watching mom worship. He's watching his Aunt Cassie singing from the stage. He's learning how to be obedient to the Lord. And the Bible said, train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Because what I'm telling you right here at Lake Erie is that there are lots of kids in this church like Mateo. Some of them have good homes to grow up in and some of them don't. Some of you are grandparents of your own grandchildren and their parents won't come to church. They won't serve the Lord and your responsibilities are even greater because somebody has to see the possibility of a 10-year-old boy who can grow up under the power and the anointing of God in this house and be somebody who can make a difference with their life. But it goes further than that. You know what Mateo needs? And I'm just saying this is representative of all of them. Mateo, that man right on the front row right there. See that guy with the glasses right there with the brown shirt? He's a good-looking guy, isn't he? That's Willie Morgan. He's one of the elders in this church. You need to get to know Willie Morgan. And you know why? Because he loves the Lord with all of his heart. And he can help you as you grow older. He can help you follow the Lord in the right direction. Absolutely. You see that? crazy guy right there with a that uh, his name is Perez he, la he laughs a lot because he's got a lot of joy in his heart but as you get older Vesuvio can help you he'll show you how to follow after the Lord because he knows how to follow after the Lord you see the point is simply this that this church is populated with children who need you to teach them the way of the Lord we get reluctant sometimes. Now listen, I'm not saying we go overboard with this because sometimes people do go overboard with this. But when I grew up in church, everybody was my mama and my daddy. You didn't have to wait for my mama to correct me. If there was something that had to be done, somebody got to me. Somebody helped me. Now look again, I'm not, I'm not, make, I'm not deputizing anybody to do anything in this church. But I am telling you that every one of us have a responsibility for Mateo. You hear me? Every one of us have a responsibility for the children in our church. Because that's what saved Israel was the fact that this king had somebody in his life that taught him how to be the king that he became. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going to ask Maria to come and Cassie and where's Stella? Did she step away? Oh, she's in the back. That's fine. Okay. Come on up here. Brother Don, I want you to come. As an elder, Brother Melvin, you're one of our elders. I want you to come. Jason Atkins, come on up here. Pastor Yuri, I want you to come on up here. Pastor Dustin, I want you here. We're going to anoint and pray for Mateo right now. 
And Mateo, we're also praying for every one of your buddies that's back there in kids' church right now. When you go back there, you can tell them that we prayed for all of them. We're going to pray over this child. And in praying over this child, we are praying over the future of Lake Erie Church. Listen, we're praying over the future of Lake Erie Church. That we have to be responsible. That we are raising up a new generation. Come on, Grandma. We're raising up a new generation of leaders <coughs> at Lake Erie Church. Point your hand this way. Pastor Dustin, put, a, put some oil on his head, please. And I want us to pray. In the name of Jesus. Father, we pray over this child right now in Jesus' name that the hand of God will be on his life and upon his family. God, that you will work in his life, in the environments of his home, and that you will raise him up as a mighty warrior for God, that you will teach him and train him and show him the way to follow after the Lord. And God, cause our church to be awakened this morning, to understand this relationship that we have, to teach the younger, to know how to follow God, to serve after the Lord. Give us young men and young women who will be raised up as the future leaders of our church to do the work of ministry and to accomplish the mission of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, Mateo. God bless you, buddy. Amen. 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 You see, there's something that happens here that's so vitally important. And that is the church who has a vision for its children and its future. It doesn't mean that we're bypassing any group or any generation because as we're, we're saying now and as we're using as a tag for our, our campaign, generations matter at Lake Erie Church. They all matter. Seniors, young adults, young marrieds, middle-aged. We all matter to the Lord. And we all matter to the vision of Lake Erie Church. But it is vitally important that we recognize this responsibility that we have before God to raise up this next generation and to make sure that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is embedded into their heart. In fact, we've been talking and we will be announcing soon. What are the fundamentals that we are making sure that we're teaching? That when these kids come out of this children's ministry, what will they know about God? What have we taught them to do so that, that they know about the Lord? And then what is your responsibility? What is your responsibility? If you're a parent, you should make it a commitment to show up at church. Bring your kids to church. Don't be lazy about that. Get your kids into the presence of God. Bring them into these environments where the Holy Spirit is falling. And I'm promising you, God uses those moments in powerful ways. 
Don't allow yourself to buy into the idea that there are other activities that are more important than the house of God. Don't allow yourself to buy into the temptation that they should be more involved in other things. I'm telling you, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the living God will endure forever. I love sports. I love extracurricular activities. But if your child never scores a touchdown, if they never shoot a basket, but if they know the Lord Jesus, if they are full of the Holy Spirit, they will make it in this world. There is no scholarship more important than the Holy Ghost. There is no field trip more important than the presence of God. And I know it's countercultural. And I know you fight against the tidal wave of those. In fact, some of our local schools now are starting to have their, their activities on Sunday morning. You know why? Because the world doesn't want the church to be a voice in this world. I'm telling you, it's time, church, that we decide we will raise up a generation of our children that know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are fighting for our future. But there's more. Because the hand of God is upon our children. And we have a responsibility. Every Sunday morning, the older teens right back there. And they're scared to death right now. <laughs> they're not sure. But see, the hand of God are on those kids. The hand of God is on those kids. And a church that understands that, a church that recognizes that, a staff that recognizes that, an eldership that recognizes that, a constituency that buys into that, understands that we don't do this for ourselves, we do it for the future of our church, for the generations that are coming after us. And it is vital that we make those decisions that give our children and their generations the greatest opportunity to walk with God. There's one last thing I want you to see in this passage. If you read through these chapters, you will discover that a national revival broke out in Israel because of this young king. He became such an influential person in the nation that he sparked a national revival that turned that nation in the right direction for the years that he served as its king. And when I read that a few weeks ago in my study and my devotion, I thought about the sense that I have in my heart. I hope I'm conveying this to you. That there is a revival that God wants to send to this community. That there is a revival that God wants to send to this county. That God wants to do in our church, in our lives, in our families, in our marriages. There is a revival that God wants to send. In, in fact, I put it like this. That Josiah sparked a revival that put the devil out of business in his land. Now, could God do that again? About eight of you believe that. God could do that again. You know, I lived in the community a number of years ago when I was a younger person. And down from where we worshipped, there was a row of 
filthy, pornographic stores and strip joints down that row. And every time we came to church, we had to drive right by them. And it was a sore, it was a blight on our community. And whatever we tried to do, whatever was tried by my, my elders, my fathers, and those in the area was always met with a political resistance because of tax dollars and zoning laws. And, and finally, those churches banded together. And they began to pray. They began to pray and call on the Lord. They, they were not in any way politically disruptive. They did not chastise or call anybody out. They showed Christian love, but they began to pray and exhibit the demonstration of God's presence. And you know what happened over that period of time while I was in high school? Every one of those shops closed down. Every one of those strip joints went out of business. Now you go by there, there's restaurants and hotels in that place. And when I see it, I remind myself that there is still a God who does amazing things. There is still a God that brings revival to a wicked and perverse generation. We just have to believe And we just have to be willing To make a difference with our life To step into the moment And be the people God has called us to be So how did Josiah do it? I'm going to give you these three And then we're going to pray First thing I notice in the scripture Is that Josiah expressed And practiced sincere repentance Verse 10 of chapter 22 Shophan also told the king, Helkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shophan read it to the king, and when the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders, and you see the list of names there. Verse 13, go to the temple, speak to the Lord for me and the people and all of Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that have been found for the Lord's anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. There was a genuine and sincere repentance that Josiah practiced in his life. When the word of the Lord hit him, Instead of blaming, well, you know, the previous administration. That's what the previous crowd did. I, I'm just dealing with what I got to... No, he didn't do that. He said, it's on me. It's on me. It's me and my generation. We have not done what God has told us to do. And we have to repent. We have to confess and we have to repent. And I know sometimes people get nervous about this when we, when we make this statement, you know, that we're all sinners. And, and I know that we've been forgiven of our sins, but we are human beings. And as human beings, we have a sinful nature that has to be sanctified and purified. And we're always dealing, even the Apostle Paul said, I'm dealing with this struggle and this tension inside of me. And sometimes there comes moments when we have to sincerely say to God, I'm sorry. And we have to repent. And when we repent before the Lord, we find that God will revive and strengthen us and do great works in us. And if you push back and say, well, I don't need to repent of anything, let me remind you what the Bible said. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go on to the next verse. If we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and saying that His Word has no place in our heart. What I'm reminding every one of us here is that repentance brings freedom. When you deal with the sin that is inside of you and you repent from it, you will find freedom. There is freedom in repentance. It's why the enemy doesn't want you to do it. He wants you to keep holding on to your sin because sin drags a nation and a family and a marriage and a church down. But forgiveness releases us to be the people of God. Josiah had a spirit of repentance. Second of all, he was faithfully obedient to God and His Word. I'm challenging our church. I'm challenging. I'll be back and tell you how we're going to do it. But I'm challenging this church to get into God's Word. To rediscover the Word of God in your life. In fact, here's one of my challenges. That you will pick up this book and you will start reading this book. And in every place, every place that you find something in this book that speaks to you, you'll mark it. That's what I told Alex the other day. He and I were together. And we were talking about reading the Bible. He was telling me why, where he's reading. I said, every time you read something in the Bible that speaks to you, mark it. And then live by it. Do it. What God is saying, because the Word of God is quick and powerful. And when you align your life to the Word of God, you will know God's blessings. You will know God's power. You will know God's anointing when you allow the Word of the Lord to become a part of your life. And you live by what the Word says, not by what social media says, not by what your friends say, not by what other people are doing, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Josiah was willing to be obedient to the Lord. Chapter 23, verse 3, look at the screen. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. Notice these words. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all of his commands, laws and decrees with his whole heart and soul. In this way he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that are written in the scroll and all the people pledged themselves to that covenant. Here's the last one. And Jerome, if you'd come prepare to play. Josiah lived a righteous life and he influenced righteousness in the places that he could. He took action to get sin removed from the environments that he could control. I'm a ferocious reader. I read a number of papers, newspapers. I read some that are liberal, some that are conservative. I read blogs. I want to be an informed pastor. Sometimes when I read stuff, there's something inside of me that rises up that this is just not right. And yet there's a helplessness in me that says, I, I can't do anything about what's going on in the state of Oregon. I can't do anything about what's happening in Wisconsin but I can do something about what happens in my house. I can do something about what happens in my body. 
I can do something about what happens in my county, in my community. And that's what happened with, with Josiah. In the places where he could influence, he decided that he would, he would encourage righteousness. He would live a righteous life and he would encourage those environments. And so what you see in chapter 23 is this, this massive, massive effort to get sin out of Israel. Here's an example in verse 4. Look at the screen. Then the king instructed Helkiah the high priest and the priests of the second rank of the temple gatekeepers to remove from the Lord's temple all the articles that had been used to worship Baal, Ashroth, and the powers of the heavens. In the temple of God, before Josiah got there, they were actually bringing idols into God's house and worshiping them in the house of God. And, and, and Josiah said, no, no not going to do that. Get them out. All these things were burned outside of Jerusalem on the terraces of Kinron Valley. He carried the ashes to Bethel. Here's what I need you to remember. Sin always hinders the flow of God's anointing in your life. Sin hinders the flow of God's blessings over your life. You say, well, this kind of harsh for you to say this, but here's what I'm saying. If you find that you're not experiencing God's blessings, make sure there's no sin in your life. Examine yourself to make sure there's no sin in your life. Because God does not honor or bless sin. How do I know that? Joshua chapter 7. Israel was coming out of that euphoria of Jericho. They had won an incredible victory there. And they were going on to the town of Ai, the next city that they had to conquer. And God gave strict instructions that they were not to keep the spoils of that city. But a man did. A man by the name of Achan kept the things that God told him not to do. He brought sin into his house. And in bringing sin into his house, he prevented the blessings of God over the country of Israel. When they lost, Joshua went to God and said, what's up? And God said, I'm not going to bless you because there's sin in your house. Now nobody knew that except Achan and God. And God knows if you've got sin in your life. And I say that lovingly. I say that respectfully. But if you're practicing sin, God's not going to bless you. I love you, but He won't. The anointing of God's not going to be on your life if you allow sin to reside in your heart. If you're touching unclean things, if you're playing with unclean things, if you're doing things that are disrespectful of God and God's presence, He's not going to bless you. So what does it say to us? It says that we have to have the kind of spirit that says, God, cleanse me. Shelly quotes this verse to me all the time. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. A right spirit in me. See if there's any wicked way in me. We have to pray that kind of prayer. We have to live that kind of life. If Lake Erie Church is going to be the church that God wants it to be, we have to get sin out of the way. 
You say, well, you know, I'm not doing the things I used to do, but you may have picked up some other things. Sin of pride. The sin of unforgiveness. The sin of a critical spirit. Ill-spoken words. You sinned against your brother. It's never been made right, and God's blessings have not been on you because you didn't fix it. You have to find a way to get sin out of your life. Remember what I said earlier. If you confess your sins, that's what the Bible said. If you confess them, what? He'll forgive them. Get it out. So that the blessings of God will never be hindered in this house. That the flow of God's anointing. See, this church is not going to be great because it has great music. It won't be great because it has great pastor. It, don't, it won't be great because it has plenty of money. No. It'll be great because it's a place of righteousness. Place of righteousness. Bow your heads with me, please. Every so often I have the opportunity or the occasion to be in a cemetery. Maybe it's a funeral or for some other reason. And quite often I will walk around in that cemetery and I will read what people put on their tombstone it's always been interesting to me what people will want their last testament to be and what they would put on a tombstone or what the family would put on the tombstone so I've been asking myself now for about three or four weeks what would I want to be placed on my tombstone that would represent the true heart that I have and I found it this week in the words that I read to you. He did what was pleasing to the Lord. That's a legacy. Not that he was the best singer, not that he was the most intelligent, no. He did what was pleasing to the Lord. She lived according to the word of the Lord. She lived a righteous life according to the word of the Lord. I am so hungry and so desirous for our church to experience a revival. And I'm calling on you to join me in that pursuit. A fresh hunger for God's blessings and His anointing on this house. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.